which is the coolest thing. And I might even mention it in here. This is what it said. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn. This is when Jesus first died. This is, wasn't when he was in the tomb. This is, this is what happens when you die. And the people that are indirectly and directly connected to you, but the ones that are indirectly connected to you, this is what happens. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earthquake and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. I don't know if y'all heard me speak on this before. When we die, the power that's on our death, the voluntary death, Jesus handed over his life. It said he yielded his spirit. The power on yielding your spirit to God resurrects dead bodies around you. It resurrects people who have no hope. It resurrects people that have already decided to not live for God any longer or to not live at all. Have you seen people who are like, they have nothing, just darkness roaming them, surrounding them. Our life is so important in the fact that we must die because if we don't, people will truly die the last death, which is eternal death. And this is Carl and Mamie here. And coming out of the graves, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. This is what you're doing tomorrow. Because you have died, God is allowing the saints to be appeared to many. You accepted the death of Jesus, right? We all have. But when we die to Christ, there are lives that will be opened up. And people will go forth in the city and they'll be appeared. Because, you know, people knew you guys before this. They knew you before this and they were watching the death. Tomorrow you will appear to many in the city. The saints appeared. Your death has the power to lose people out of the grip of death. Nobody wants to die anymore. It's painful. You know what I think is funny? Um, there, I guess there's levels of pain, but after all, it, it all subsides, doesn't it? So like if I cut my hand right here, there may be an initial shock of pain, but over time, it may not feel as bad as it once did. Same thing with like breaking an arm. I don't even know how long pain lasts anymore. When you really think about it, how long does it even last? Can we even gauge it? I'm not talking about like sickness pain where your stomach is continuously cramping, or yeah, or I'm talking about physical pain. Like you can get punched in the face, and it may only hurt for a second. Don't mean you won't have a bruise that hurts, but the initial shock of that. We're so afraid of pain because we've experienced it before, and we don't want to die because we experience pain. But the pain only can be but a breath. If I take the initial shock, to just die, got to do the rest. Our spectators, the people that God has placed in our lives as, a, as, as viewers of this motion picture, as this journey of faith, their purpose is for the glory of God to be revealed to them so that they can have life. You know, there were Pharisees that got saved. It's an axe. 
there, a lot of Jewish people came to the faith. Many. But that happened after Jesus was resurrected. After his death. After he was buried. After he resurrected. And then he commissioned his apostles to go throughout all the world and create disciples. And those disciples died. Those apostles died to themselves and really carried out the mission. And the greatest one of them all, and I don't want to say it like that, but Paul was that dude. Paul was that guy. And what I say about it, he literally died over and over and over again. And I love it. God loves extreme cases. He showed you how great his grace is. Because Paul was the worst of the worst. He crucified the brethren before they were the brethren. And then he had to go and talk to them. And say, I receive what you guys have received. I've seen what you've seen. He was so vicious. <laughs> Outside the faith, the believers, the ones that seen Christ, saw him die and resurrected. When they heard about him becoming a Christian, they were afraid. Yeah, they were scared of him. This man, he couldn't have, he, there's no way this could have happened. But the things that has tormented us, the things that seem to have been the ugliest in our life, God used it for such greatness. He uses it for such greatness. He does. Every opportunity you guys get to speak and talk to somebody about your journey. Have you ever seen in a commercial where the light bulb is flickering and then it goes off? You can really see that in people. You can really see when a person receives in their eyes and when they're not opposed to the truth. Our death is so important because if we don't die, we won't live and others will never live. If you walk through this door, your call or your purpose is not minuscule. It's not tiny. It's not pequeño. It's not. It's, it's massive. And when we look at massive, it, it doesn't necessarily have to mean magnitude. The massive is the impact that it has on another person's life. And this is what it says. And the word says that he who believes in me would do greater works than I. What are those greater works? I'm going to name some works right now that Jesus did when he walked the earth. And then I'm going to ask for you guys to tell me what are some greater works. You can't do these greater works unless you die. From the womb, Jesus was dead. I'm going to tell you that. It said he was already slain before the foundations of the earth. So before he even left the womb, he was slain. Jesus walked on water. Let's never forget that. <laughs> Boss. Boss. <laughs> he calmed the storm. He raised the dead. Healed blind eyes. Uh, crippled and lame walked. The deaf could hear. Did I say the blind could see yet? Cast out demons. He renewed souls. And he perceived the hearts and minds of men. Now, those are nine things I'm sure I could miss anything. So what are the greater works? What are the things that we do greater than what Jesus did when he walked? Which you, you can have no part in it if you don't decide to die. To do it for another. That's the greater works. Okay, that's a good answer, to do it for another. What are the greater works? Okay, these are good answers. I'm just going to stop doing a questionnaire. The greater works are now the expansion of those things happening. The only way the expansion of things could happen is through the power of the Holy Spirit that was put inside of you through regeneration, through giving your heart to Jesus Christ. 
Those are the greater works. We'll never be greater than Jesus. It is physically impossible, but it is spiritually attainable. Because we're not competing with Jesus, we're fellowshipping with him. So there's no competition. The greater work is doing what he did, but at a greater capacity. One man turned the whole world upside down through 12 disciples. One man turned the whole world upside down through 12 disciples. And I love it because people's minds can be so small that you can be in one area of the world and think it's the entire world. They said those are the men that have turned the whole world upside down. I love it. They prophesied right into their life. When, this is when they were, didn't want Paul or Peter to go into these synagogues or when they didn't want to be before the people. What type of presence do you have? Where when you just show up and you get ready to do what you normally would do, people say, oh, you can't come in here, buddy. For real, what type of presence do you have? You can feel it when you go into a place and you're not wanted. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not because of anything bad. It says if you're a friend of, of the world, you're an enemy of God. <laughs> there's, there's two different things. God uses the wealth of the wicked to, to bless the saints. But that's not through fellowship with the world. So when you see somebody who has favor, that's God. That's not communion with the world. Now, when you see someone in fellowship with the world, that's a whole nother story. Where you see somebody's in fellowship and they can have the things of the world or they do have the things of the world. We have, we have such a great capacity in the Holy Spirit. I asked the Lord to reveal the Holy Spirit to me. You know, you can generate or cultivate an ideal just from what somebody says. How many of us really read what the Holy Spirit is? And have been in church and have heard a pastor speak on it or have heard all these teachings on what the Holy Spirit is, but have not read it themselves? A lot of us have. When I first came here, it's easy to hear something that is truth and to hang on to it as it's your own. But have you ever gone back and said, okay, how real is that? I do it now. I don't want to go off based off what somebody tells me. Yeah. I want to read it for myself. Yeah. I want to research it for myself. I want God to reveal it to myself. You know the Holy Spirit, what was the Holy Spirit sent to do? We talked about it or you can't tell them. <laughs> what was the Holy Spirit sent to do? Okay. What was the Holy Spirit sent to do? That's one of his functions. But what was he sent to do? The Holy Spirit was sent to first convict the world of sin. He was also sent to convict the world of righteousness. And then he was sent to convict the world of judgment or to convict. You can't even just say believers can be convicted. They are convicted. That's what the Holy Spirit was sent for. How would I know that if I never read it? Don't get me wrong. It's already written on the inside of you. We look at the Holy Spirit as a magician the conjurer of miracles, the conjurer of, of, of a prophecy of tongues. That is the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. We all have gifts. But what are we sent to do? I could be sent to do something without even using my gifts. Jesus. What if people told you about Jesus? I'm not saying they're, they're wrong. Or they lie to you. There's truth in what is being preached about Jesus. But there's also fallacy. There's also false, falsehood teaching. 
But unless you go and read it yourself, how do you know? How? You can't just go based off of what somebody says. Because that's how people will be deceived all over the world. And our generation, everybody here the same age, our generation is the worst at that. We have to break free from just going from secondhand and thirdhand sources. The Holy Spirit is your firsthand source. And if you receive Christ in your heart, you have access to all knowledge, all knowing. All you really have to do is just ask. The word also says that while they were yet speaking, I heard them. And before they finish asking, I've already answered. You know what says that? So if I'm asking God something, before I can even finish uttering what I'm asking, he answers me. And he speaks to everybody in a specific or in a unique way. So when I know if I'm asking the Lord if I can have a cheeseburger, I know where to get my answer from. And every time, and I wonder if he's going to challenge this now. Every time I ask verbally, out loud, I get an answer before I'm even, I've even finished asking the question. It's in the word. I think it's in Isaiah. I guess what I'm trying to say is what I've experienced in my life, which really, what really broke me this morning is the people that God wants to reach are dependent on my life. And they're not dependent on my life in a sense. They're dependent on, upon my death. Each year, every day, we have to die to something else. And if you're not seeing changes in areas of your life, where have we erred? Or where have we sinned? Because God said he can give the spirit limitlessly. He gave it to Jesus without limit. And everything Jesus received, we can receive because it says we're joint heirs. I I'll be the first one to say it. There are areas in my life that did not get fixed from last year. And I hate having to go back to try to fix something that I tried to fix last year. We got to be focused. I mean, like laser focused, like I will die. I'm going to die if it's the last thing I do. I'm serious about this. I have a family. Everybody here has family. Not just their life is depending Upon my death. My, what is it when you have a household family and then you have people outside your family? What's that called? You have your immediate family and then you're extended. Everyone. That was, thank you. I could not figure out that word for anything. That's dependent on everybody. You know, there's always one in every family. Doesn't mean it's limited to one. God can do, have more than one. And I've seen them. There, there's more than one in many families. But there's always one who is called to die so the whole family can be resurrected and appear in the city. There's always one. And generally when you're in a seat like this, you're that one. <laughs> you are. Think about your family. Really think about it and compare it to the life of Jesus Christ. Who is following Jesus? In the family, when you really look at it. When you read the scripture... When you read the word of God and it describes what a Christian life is, what a follower of Jesus is, you know the disciples forsake everything. Some in an instant and some after some time. Jesus was in that area for a long time. But when it came time for him to come forth, and he, he, it was, it's so funny how we can just know. These disciples that were fishers, and they had to be pretty good fishers, 
Because later on, he said, Jesus, we gave up everything. You don't care about giving up nothing unless it was some sort of substance. If it ain't nothing to give up, you don't care nothing about it. They had to be some sort of successful in what they did. Jesus had that type of authority in his life where he showed up and they said, whatever he's doing, I'm going to do. And this is before he started walking and doing all these miracles, man. Can you imagine how they can be baffled at the works just by faith? What was the first miracle Jesus did? Quizzing. Turn of water into wine. First miracle Jesus did was leave his parents' side and not get a spanking. Not just play. I'm just playing. Hey, you know, parents don't play. Hey, you all the way in a whole nother city? And we got to come all the way back to find you? His first miracle was not getting a spanking, y'all. Okay? Nah. What, um, sometimes it's painful that, that you, to know that people are not supporting you. Sometimes it's painful to know that people don't have your back and they wish the worst for you. Jesus? <laughs> it's hard. It's sad when you think about it. But we have to be so close to God. And the only way to get close to God is to not have any flesh. It says flesh cannot glory in his presence. And where flesh is, there is sin. And sin is an abomination to God. And this is one of my new taglines. You know what God did to the abominations in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, when there were abominations, the wrath of God came forth. Whatever, whether it was a flood Fireballs coming from heaven? Yeah, come on, Just for one city? Oh my gosh. They must have been so corrupt. I guess it was too, Sodom and Gomorrah. They must have been next to each other. They had to be right next, but literally orchestrating fire to come in and just destroy two places out of all the earth. Yeah, that's... He's a big God. Massive. Gigantic. The entire universe, I mean, it's like a speck in his hand. He has the power to, to literally snap fingers, speak, breathe life into something. We also have that same power to breathe life. When me and Tori practice, um, and this is for all the married couples in here. Um, I think we might have did it before we got married. I don't know. But long story, it's, it's called a breath exchange. We did it after, the, okay. We, talk, we had marriage counsel with Lee. And there's a breath exchange that needs to happen between a husband and a wife. So I don't know how it was taught to us, but instead of first engaging in the consummation of the marriage, me and Tori exchanged breath. And we kind of got in unison where I would breathe in and she would, she would blow in, I guess she would blow out in me. And then as I exhaled, she inhaled. That is some of the closest int intimacy you could ever have. I'm not even kidding. And I'm a man. It, it, don't, it don't get too much better than, than sex, y'all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm talking about in a physical relationship. Mm -hmm. But that breath exchange is life-altering. You're coming in such union with that person. There's no words to put on it. 
you really should practice it. Watch what God does, especially to your wives, man. I'm for real. They like stuff like that. They like that sweet stuff. I like it, too. And the warmth that enters your body, it's, 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 it's complete life. It's a good warmth. It's not like hot, stinky breath. It's like a good warmth. It's like soothing. It's like comforting. It's, it's loving. It's difficult to know that people don't have your back. I don't even know how I got on the breath exchange. But it's so much more important to die so that Christ can live because the results are God is going to bring you before people or that people that because of you die, they're going to go before people. And y'all are already experiencing it. I'm watching it before my eyes. It's the craziest thing. It's like everything we imagined is now becoming a reality. It's no longer a dream. But it's real. It's manifesting. And you just think, Lord, now that it's here, it still don't compare to you. Nothing has changed. Nothing. No countenance in a sense like you're happy, but I can tell it has not moved you. And this brings up a great point. A dead man is not moved by anything. He is not moved by nothing. A dead man don't got no sickness in his body, too. You got sickness in your body, you have an area of life where you need to die. I'm talking about the, the easy coughs, yeah. cold. I had a cold last, uh, a month ago. I said, dang, I don't ever get sick. Lord, you must be calling me to die. For real. Yeah. That man don't experience, a dead man has nothing. He has no opinion. He don't think nothing. He's just dead. And he's at the manipulation or the use of the person that's overseeing that body or that corpse. You know they handle bodies, the morgue. I don't know. I I just, I really believe we're almost done, my wife. Um, If we understand that what we're going through is for so much more of a greater purpose It can be a lot easier to surrender. It can be a lot easier to lay down your life. And I know a lot of us may not understand what it really means to die. But it really means just giving up everything that you ever had or ever were or ever wanted to be. And allow this temple to be emptied of itself. So that another being, which is God, can enter into it. There's no greater joy that I ever experienced than being used by God. That is what's better than sex. The ideal, the knowledge, the knowing that almighty God has stepped down into this creature, this flesh, and has used it for his glory. There's no greater feeling. What do you want more? And this is a question I've been asking recently. If we know that something is of the enemy, if we know something is of the devil, like if we know, why do we want to fellowship with it? Anger, unforgiveness. If we know that's not God and we know it's the enemy, why do we want to partake in it? Why do we want to have union with it? I don't get it. That's the one thing I have a hard time understanding 
for a believer, knowing for the knowingly know we need deliverance, but rejecting it. It's basically saying, I want every part of the enemy that he has with me. And it could be the ruby in me. And sometimes we just don't know. But I mean, but when you know that something is not God. And you still want it. That's a concern. That's the flesh. And I'm going to read these two things out of Romans because it keeps coming to my mind. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who set their things on the spirit, so set, but those who live according to the spirit. I'm going to read it all over again. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Flesh is that enmity against God. The flesh is death. The flesh is sinful nature. So if we live according to that, that's the fruit we're going to bear. Things of the flesh. And the word says, when you sow to the flesh, you reap decay, ruin, and destruction. But when we sow to the spirit, we'll reap the spirit. And that's why we have to live. We have to live according to the spirit, and our mind must be set on the things of the spirit. And I'm only going to read this because I thought it was a really cute uh, and quick nugget how we can easily misread a scripture. This is Romans 8.1. It said, there is therefore... Now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We use that, right? We say that if you're in Christ, you ain't got no condemnation, right? You can't have condemnation. But we steadily leave out this part, in which we all know it, because when we said it earlier, we spit it out. <laughs> yeah, he's got to back it up one. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk, I mean, those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh. How many people here have experienced condemnation? I know what condemnation is. Judgment of the soul, in I guess simplest terms. You feel the, you feel the, the anguish of, of doing something wrong. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk or who do not walk according to the flesh. So if we're Christians or if we're believers, and we don't want to experience condemnation because we've all felt it before. If you feel it and you're a believer or you feel it and you know God, you're in the flesh. It does not say it will be withheld from you. It says you will not have it if you do not walk according to the flesh. And the opposite of walking according to the flesh is walking in the spirit. So you have the fruits of the spirit and you have the, the manifestation of the, uh, the spirit's power or is gifts. So we, we, we have to move out of the flesh. Condemnation comes and we hate condemnation, especially our personality type, because it can consume us. I know I kind of went a few places tonight, but I hope that was okay because um, when you make decisions for God, people are always going to watch. And who watch doesn't matter because they have no power to kill you or resurrect you. There's only one. And when it's the time for that resurrection, God is, he's already in that and he is literally sending angels to appear to people to say, oh yeah, he's not here anymore. You know, you can have an epiphany. When somebody walks, man, you're, you're different. 
That's like an angel spoke to him. You're different. My friends, I only have a few friends from my, my previous life, my life before Christ. There's really only about four or five that I could really say that I still really talk to. And, you know, Mark says I've always been a good dude. He says that, but you don't ever know what's going on in this temple. That soul. And what we think, we speak. And what we speak, we create. But I mean, I know I've changed. And my wife, who's known me for the last six years, she's seen the change. She saw it before eyes. You want to bring that down a little bit? Thank you, bro. I just want to encourage everybody tonight, especially y'all too. I want to exhort y'all. I want to to exhort everybody. Because if you continue in this path, allowing God to come and use you, die freely, give up your life, there's blessings behind it. And Carla made me have an excellent testimony about that. Excellent. And Mark has an excellent testimony too. We talked last night, and you never know what you say, how it's going to affect somebody. I reaped a harvest last night from Mark. I sowed some good seeds in the Mark, what was it, a year ago, two years ago? And he mentioned it. I forgot all about it. He said when he was having a rough time, and um, he would call, and he would want me to say certain things. But I wouldn't. You got to fear God before you fear man. And there are things I could have said to enforce or endorse maybe what he felt at that moment. But when I sowed the seeds of righteousness and the seeds of truth, he received a great harvest. I look at Nika, oh my gosh, you are a gem. You really are. You are a queen. And a queen can never be crowned until her husband is. She can't, man. No joke. It's, the authority only comes from the man. So to watch y'all, too, I'm in, in utter amazement. There were times I said, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> I would sit with meet with Nika. I would sit with me with Mark. <laughs> I said, Lord, I know they meant for each other. How do you express that? And I'm a baby. I might have been coming to ministry two years. But all I had to do was just say what I knew the Lord wanted me to say. And look at them now. They have so much love. They're going to walk in blessings this year. It's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be great because you guys remain faithful and didn't give up. God rewards the things we do now, just like he punished, well, just as he convicts <laughs> the things that we don't do right. He rewards the things we do do right. So I reaped a harvest from, from Mark, and I never saw it coming, and it was a great harvest. And I'm so happy. Because it can be so easy sometimes to say, man, you ain't got to do this. It's just not in us. It's not. And I'm ready to see what God does in in y'all's life, especially ministry-wise for that man. Yep, the man with the mohawk. (laughs) So do we have any questions? I'll be teaching uh, Saturday. As of right now, I may not teach. But I want to invite you all... um, to come. Oh, family. We're back. Every time, right when we get ready to end. Every time. Every time. Let's see, Lord, what else you got up your sleeves tonight, Lord? You know, I got to give something to my sister. Bless you. Well, typically we start at six. We worship for about 30 minutes, and then we get into teaching. Oh, okay. 
we just talked about uh, dying and how people are affected around you when you die. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to get me going, don't you? <laughs> All you got to... Oh, it's in the back right now. Is it good? Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 You know, death is for movement in a person's life. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Our our chief of rehabilitation services lost her dad and then Miss Elaine lost her daughter. Wow. So you are right. There's death. This is the season of it. It's this is the season for it. There has to be movement in the kingdom. Wow. So you know you have a choice. When a a parent or a child typically die, I'm not saying this is every time. Um God uses that uses the death, doesn't cause the death. God is the giver of life. He chooses the time we die, but he doesn't necessarily cause us to die. You get what I'm saying? So when a person loses somebody close to them or just an adverse situation, he uses that to draw them near to him. But you always have a choice. Instinct, this is what instinct does. And we all know this. Have you guys ever hit a hard time? You say, I got to pray more. I need to pray. Isn't that the first thing that we say? Oh, I got I got to go to church. And then that circumstance leaves for a moment and you fall. You get God. Yeah. Every time. That's that's the first that's that's the first instinct. But outside of that, there's no true commitment. So you have a choice when an adverse situation or circumstance comes upon you, whether to yield to God or to go your own way. It's always a choice. You know, that's a gift. You know, the angels do service unto the Lord. They were created to perform service. We are created to worship, but we have a choice to worship. We do. We were created to do it, but we don't have to. Angels ain't got no choice. Now they do. They have will. Because Satan had a choice. And because he was the chief worshiper, he saw himself as more of a magnificence than God himself. I can do what you do, God. I can be far greater than you. And that, that pride, pride is a weight, just so you know, and weight is sin. Caused him to, to descend out of heaven and take a third of the angels with him. What's up, bro? Yeah. You taught me that. No, there's no more. What, there's no more. What was already, this, this, happened before the, this happened before the foundations of the earth. When Satan rebelled and, and confused the third of the angels, that was already written. It happened. There will be no more rebelling. There's, there's no more. They already see the judgment that took place. You know, the whole world wasn't an abyss at one point. It was darkness that covered the face of the earth. That meant there was no life. Or abiding life. And the Holy Spirit was waiting to do what the, what, what the word of the Lord would tell it to do. 
Okay. Back to the circumstance. God uses the circumstance to draw you to him. It says, blessed is the man whom you choose and cause to come near to you. A lot of times when we go through hard times, like when we lose a job or we, you know, we quit our job or uh, somebody dies. We look at it naturally as punishment because the world teaches us, if you do this, I'll do that. It's called quid pro quo, quid pro quo in the workplace. It's like, you know, you do a little something here, I'll hook you up. That's, so this is the exchange. We learned this exchange. If you do the right thing, you get blessed. If you do the wrong thing, you get punished. Now there's a law, but that's not grace. Jesus came for grace. So when the circumstances come, that means grace is at full access to you to obey what God is asking you to obey, which is which is a calling into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Yes. And it's so funny how the, the enemy will use your voice. And I learned this from, from, our, from our apostle, from Gene Hall. I started talking to him about some circumstances. And he said, I, I just don't understand where I am in movement and God. And I was just like, I feel like I'm behind. And he said, it's interesting to see how easy it is for Satan to use your mouth because he's really concerned about where your movement is. Listen to this. If he can use your mouth, he can tell you his position. If he can use your mouth, he will speak his position in your life. This is what I'm saying. When confusion was inside of me or trying to come upon me, the influence to speak his thoughts came on me. I don't know what's going on, Gene. Where am I supposed to be? He said, and then he would say, Satan must be really concerned with where you are. It's not even our thoughts. It's just the manifestation of a voice we hear coming out of our lips. And here's the thing. If he's the father of lies, if he's that concerned, that just must mean there's a serious blessing coming. Yes. I like, look, I'm just going to say it. Blessings upon blessings upon blessings. Yes. That's what God the father is all about. Blessing his children. Amen. Especially when you've yielded your life to him. So if he's that concerned, what does that really mean? How many things have we allowed Satan to use our mouth for? <laughs> Don't know. Exactly. Because this is what's going to happen. There's life and when your breath. The spirit of God is inside of you, which is the spirit of life. So whatever you say has power and authority on it. Life and death is on the power of the tongue. And those who, they yield the fruit of it. Yep. So check this out. So whatever I say, I'm empowering to happen in my life. So that what she is saying which is out of her mind, yeah. is going to manifest. And before you know it, the spirit of depression. And, and we have a child that's left behind in the place, has mm -hmm. a three-year-old who are naked. So we need her. We, we said tonight, we need you to be empowered through the Holy Ghost yeah. to raise this little boy. Yes. Because we got, we got a remnant. Yep. And we don't need nothing happening to the grandmother. Yeah, for real. Right, right. But it's, but it's only through the Holy Spirit. It's only through, that's where he was sent. There's a list of things the Holy Spirit was sent to do. All you got to do is read it in John. It's like from John, I think, 14 to 16. Just read it. This is what he came to do. 
So what I'm trying to say is what I feel like I'm trying to get. Death is important for us all because without death, there is no life. The resurrection power only comes once there's been death. And the same power we know the scripture that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you. And if that means, that means you can, you can breathe on somebody. Yeah, we need to breathe in our spouses and resurrect some life in them. Amen. For real. There are dreams on the inside of everybody in here Amen. that have been, been, been held dormant yes, because of things people have said, because of people have acted with you, yes. because you've, you've expressed a desire of your heart. And now they just come and say, nah, you can't do that. There's a generation, my, my dad's generation dealt with that heavily. Anybody, and it's in that movie, I guess, the one with Denzel, yeah. where somebody wanted to be greater, not because of pride, but just because of aspiration. And they had a gift, and, had a gift, and somebody came and suppressed it. And then it became a seed, and then that seed became a tree in somebody, and then it was passed through the blood. And now it's a generational curse because they never got delivered. There are many things that God has in store for us. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a bank or there's a, a storehouse in heaven that's over your life. Everything that's destined for you is over your life. And as you get closer to God, all those things start dropping out of heaven. And some things drop and some things never drop because we have not yielded that part of our life to God. The wealth of the world is meant for the believer. That is finances, people. I'm not just talking about, you know, wealth is a whole word, but I mean tangible money. The church has to be in the place to deliver. We're only delivering half the power. We're delivering the wisdom of God without the wealth of God. So, yes, and what we learn here is wisdom and money answers everything. How many people knew that if I just had enough or if I had that, I could take care of that for that person? And it's already on side of you. Mercy is in you. When you know somebody is struggling and say, Lord, if I just had it, I would do it. That ain't your thought. This is selfish by nature. We'll go out and buy a boat. We'll go out and buy cars. We'll eat sushi every night. That's what we would do. Because we have the capacity. But when the spirit lives inside of you, that don't mean nothing. The life of, of another. It said there's no greater love than to lay down your life for another. Laying down your life is really giving up everything that is of you so that another can live. Every man is supposed to do that for their wife first, for their wife first, then the family, then ministry, then the workplace. And they'll never, they'll never work if it's out of order. The, the husband has to die for his wife to live. I'm telling you, this is one of the most dead men I know. I am being honest. I watched him die. I literally, I literally watched a dead body be cradled. I, I did. I'll never forget the day. I'll never forget that day. I was pressure washing. And I heard the welling of his spirit leave his body. I'm, what, 20 feet, 25 feet in the air? Pressure washing. There's an engine right next to me. And I heard the deliverance of his spirit into the hands of God. I did. And I looked back. It shocked me. I, I, I was like, what was that? You know, something catch you like, oh, my God, what was that? Like somebody got hit by a car or something. I watched him die. And I also watched him be resurrected. Boy, I am telling you. And I'm watching her resurrection. 
It never would have came if, if he had never laid down his life. And we think we can lay down our, our life in our own strength. You really can't. You ain't laid down. I'm going to tell you this. You ain't laid down your life until you're doing something you don't want to do. Until you're doing something you do not want to do. If God don't put you in a place to where you really have to love beyond yourself, you are not dead. I love y'all's testimony. There's so much revelation in the atmosphere of, of God and the presence of God. I mean, our testimonies alone can build a house. They're bricks. And all we have to do is lay them by speaking them. And people can be delivered. Every time we testify. Every time. I don't care if you tell your testimony a thousand. I've heard Lee and Gene's testimony about a million times. And I love it every time I hear it. Gene told a testimony today about how the Lord pruned him. He went from doing, what was it, $8 million? Uh, no, $3 million. Went from doing $3 million in business to 80 million because he received the pruning. I probably heard that testimony about five times. And every time I hear it, it resurrects me. The spirit engulfs inside of me. Every time Lee talks about the fact that the Lord led her to give away a, a million dollar house for, more, for less than half a million dollars. Crazy. Every time. And she got out of debt in one year. And this was the top real estate agent in Richmond Hill, Georgia, meaning she had assets and property all over the place. And the Lord told her she could not owe man anything. She cannot have, she can own anything, but she would own everything. That's truly dying. Making three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year. Prospering like that. Seeing the fruit of your labor. But the reward is greater in the kingdom. The the, the truest kingdom. This is how you know you have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection. If we're not experiencing the death in our area, we're not experiencing Jesus. If we're not experiencing burial in the area, we're not experiencing Jesus. Burial is when you've, when you've de died and denied yourself of something, it does not come out of the ground. It does not start popping back up. The old man, if I've stopped cursing and I've truly buried that, I don't have the little mishaps. I have no, the person is dead. He's in the ground, six feet under. I can't even see him. He has no power. And until you see the resurrection, until the words that used to be curse words become the words of life, the new tongue, not the tongues of angels, the new tongue. There was two tongues that were spoken in Pentecost, just so you know, because there was, what was it, 140? How many was it there? 120 were there, yeah. and they only heard the tongues of men right. of about, what was it, 5, 6, or 12? But the other were utterances. Those were the tongues of angels. And that's why they said, are these, why, these men are battling. They must be drunk. Yeah, we start, we hear it, and it's like, yeah, the tongues of men came forth that day, but also the tongues of angels. So you have the capacity, and I don't know why I'm on this, to be in a place where you don't know the language, and the Holy Spirit can come upon you. And you can communicate with them. And then you have the capacity to receive the Holy Spirit. And at any moment that you are prompted to speak to heaven, we must experience death, burial, and resurrection. There is no progress. There is no growth in Jesus Christ outside of that. Jesus said, upon this rock, speaking to Peter, 
which was the revelation that he received from God that Jesus was the Christ. I will build my church. Jesus birthed the church. We have to build it upon the revelation and through death, burial, and resurrection. And here's another thing, and this is what I left out. When you die, and when you know you truly died, you can be on the road just like Jesus was. And you can be talking to the people that knew you, and they won't even recognize you. When you die, and you have truly resurrected to a new life, you become unrecognizable to even those who walked once with you. Remember on the road, they thought he was, or they thought he was a, 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 a gardener at one point, and they would hear him say something, and it would quicken them. That's Jesus. Until you are unrecognizable, haven't died. For real. If you still look like that old dude, you ain't died yet. Jesus has, oh, I learned this from you too. He had the flesh body. He has the body that was crucified. And then he has the body that was glorified. Jesus can manifest himself to us in all three of those bodies, however he wants to. You can see him in his glorified body. You can see him in his body that was crucified. And you can see him in the body that was that walked the earth. He can manifest it either way. There have been people that seen him in the crucified state. There have been people that see him in his glorified state where he's shining. Just how he's described in Daniel and also in, in, in Revelations. And there's people that have seen him. Faithfulness. I love it because God revealed this to me. God will show you things through your faithfulness. He will open up heaven. There's a door. The faithful church was the only church he described that there will be a door open for you that only I can open. And there'll be a door that will be closed that only I can close. That's the, that's the gates of heaven. And then the chapter after that, because it went into the church after that, I don't know what church it was. But then the church after that, after that, it talked about John. And you have to read in the history where he was persecuted and he was sent to the island of Patmos. In a time where persecution was so real upon the church and the body of Christ, the new believers, he remained faithful. And while alone, he received revelation and he transcended into heaven and he had visions while he was in heaven. That is the door that God opens up to you when, you've been, when, you, when you're faithful. And what is faithfulness? Oh my God, it's such a, it's obedience over time. Obedience over time. God determines how long you need to be obedient over time to determine his faithfulness to show you these things. There's no formula to it. There was a time in the body where there was a formula. There's order in the Bible. God is not a... It goes back to what the Pharisees, they missed it. He became a formality. God became a ritual to them. And when he manifested himself in the flesh, they didn't even recognize their Savior. And every time when the apostles would go, this is after Jesus ascended back into heaven, would go into the synagogues, they broke down the scripture to show how Jesus was the Christ. I am telling you, these dudes were, were something else. You can't even break it down to a religious person unless you spend some time in the Word. Yeah, that's right. We all going out there zealously getting beat up by religion. 
by the religious spirit. And it, they know more than us in abusing what they know. It's called hireling. It's, it's called, what is it? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an H word. I don't know what it is. Thank you. Okay. My sister comes, she give me hype. But it's powerful. Romans, sin, we, we have no part in it. When it operates on, you know, sin has a personality. We were talking about this earlier. It's, um, I, I love it. And I, don't, I think it's seven. This is just beautiful. And I'm done after this. But sin taking opportunity. Us as people take opportunity. People with a mind take opportunity. People with thoughts. Sin has a body, obviously, and it obviously has a mind. Yes. Take an opportunity. <laughs> and then it also describes sin as taking occasions. We can't have no part in it. If you want to know what sin is, read your word, but I break it down as easy as this. Anything that's not a faith, that means just not moving with God, not following his order when he speaks to you. Anything that's not a faith, everything God asks you to do, you have to do in faith. Anything that's not a faith, knowing the right thing and not doing it is sin. God can tell you to do something and you don't do it. That's sin. That's as simple as saying, say hello to this person or opening this door or saying, don't say that. Don't think that. If you think something he told you not to think that, that's sin. Anything that's not a faith, knowing the right thing, not doing it, lawlessness, which is my favorite for this generation. They just don't, they don't, they don't subject themselves to authority. They just do what they want to do and they think it's okay because they're entitled. And then missing the mark. God has a mark called, just marked out for everybody in this ministry. And when God identifies that, if you don't have a specific mark yet, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing in God, your mark is getting close to Jesus Christ. Straight up. But if you don't go towards that mark or move in that mark, you're in sin. That's the easiest way I can say it. There's one word that I can't remember right now. But we can't have no parts of it. Point blank. The flesh is at enmity with God. Do you want to have enmity against a person who literally has the capability to crush the earth? There's a such thing called the fear of God. Do you know what the fear of God is? And this is the last thing I'm going to say. And I've said that about 100 times. The fear of the, God, fear of God, the, fear of the Lord is... To hate evil. You know what that is? To not partake in it. To want to have nothing to do with it. To hate it so much you despise it. You don't want to be nowhere near it. Have y'all noticed that when somebody's just in complete disobedience, it's like, I don't even want to be around them. That's the fear of the Lord inside of you. I'm, I, I'm not talking about rejecting people. I'm talking about you really can't have fellowship. We, we just experienced it. When somebody's not doing the right thing, it's just like, man, I can't, I can't fellowship with that. The righteousness inside of me has no part. And unrighteousness. That's Psalms 1, 1 through 3. That's yep. That's yep. Exactly what that yep. It's wild. It's not. We can't partake. In, and this is the other thing to fear the Lord is. To not do anything that would offend God. You can offend God in your thoughts. You can offend God in your words. And you can offend God in your actions. Especially if he's came and saved you. 
and he paid a great price for your life. We're an investment to God. We are an investment. And he, did, he wants his return. And his return is love. His love to be displayed upon the earth. Okay. Do we have any questions? My little nephew, I love him. I wish he was my son. All right. Okay, I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Daddy, we love you. You are awesome. You are all powerful. I just ask that tonight you reveal to us what we should die to so that we come into a resurrection so that those who have died can be raised and appear to many in the city and so that we can be resurrected to a new life, the newness of life, life in the spirit and not according to the law or according to the flesh. We love you and we thank you that today is your day and we will rejoice and we're always glad in what you bring our way. So, Lord, we love you. We honor you. We bless you. We bless you high above the heavens, high above the earth. And we thank you for your unconditional and unfailing love. In Jesus' name, amen.